Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Kantar and Said Business School, University of Oxford. In each episode, we speak to industry experts about the changing landscape of marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future. Hello, my name is Duncan Southgate. I'm the Global Brand Director for Media in the Insights Division at Kantar. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello. Today, we're going to be talking to Tim Jones, who's the Global Head of Research and Insights at Myriad, which is a really exciting new in-content advertising opportunity. We'll learn a bit more about Myriad and the opportunity that they bring throughout this conversation. So Tim's got a fantastically interesting CV. We've had the pleasure of working together a fair bit over the years, right back to your digital pioneering days at the Telegraph in the 1990s, Tim, where you converted... (laughs) newsprint into a digital format. You've been involved in agency, publisher, broadcaster, traditional digital roles, all kinds over the years. So it's a pleasure to have you on board and we're looking forward to learning from you today. Thank you, darling. Nice to be here. Can you give us a bit of a sense of the kinds of things you've been involved in in the media landscape over the years and how that ended up with you working with Myriad today? Of course, a pleasure. So it's been a bit of a transition through my career. I actually started off working for advertising agencies in the media department, uh, responsible for buying or doing the trading of media that was across all formats, TV and press and outdoor. I then moved on from that and I actually joined the Telegraph Group, as you mentioned, starting off working for the newspaper side and then being sort of very, very heavily involved in the transformation, as you said, from newspaper and print to digital. The Telegraph, or the Electronic Telegraph, as it was first called, was the first online newspaper in Europe. And that was that was a very interesting and challenging time to migrate there. And I spent many happy years at the Telegraph. As you mentioned, I then went into broadcast. I went to Sky TV for a few years to, to really take up the, the broadcast side of life before moving in more recently to, to Microsoft where I picked up the sort of technology and the digital aspects. And all, all of these roles were in the, the sort of media selling, the advertising space. And if you combine all of those sort of skills together, it led me to Myriad Store, which was a very new and exciting challenge with what is really a completely new side to the industry. So from digital pioneering back in the, the Telegraph days, we'll, we'll come on to Myriad in a second. The Electronic Telegraph has got a very special place in my heart because that was our first ever European brand lift study back in 1997. So, so the Kantar and, and Tim Jones relationship also goes back quite a long way. Yeah, from that kind of backdrop of all those different perspectives in the media landscape, Myriad is bringing something 
quite new and different to the table. So you're still pioneering, and I guess bridging traditional and digital media in many ways. But for those people listening to this podcast who aren't familiar with Myriad, do you just want to give us a, a headline view of what Myriad technology does? Yes, the Myriad is an is a ad tech technology which places brands into content, directly into content. Now that could form many different ways. It could be within signage, it could be products themselves. And it's all done digitally, which I can sort of talk about a little bit more in depth later, but it's a post-production service which allows brands to go into any form of video content. So the distribution of the content doesn't really matter. And there's a lot of patents behind our technology. It's a leading one, it's won many awards, it's won an Oscar. And what it does is it the technology will will scan content, it will look for opportunities for brands in ways that go beyond the human eye. So it finds opportunities for signage or physical products in those. And then we're able to put them into that content post-production. So I, I would say from your earlier point, I'd say it's very different to what you would say is traditional product placement. We would talk more about in-content advertising opportunities because of the nature of the short production times there's no lead times in terms of waiting for the script to be made waiting for the the production to be done on whatever video content it is it can be turned around as little as 48 hours before airing so that's the big differentiation between what we can do now and historic product placement and that changes the whole ballgame really because it allows brands to look at using in content advertising in ways that schedule and align with their traditional advertising opportunities, and particularly video pre-rolls and TV spot activity. And I guess because it is quite a different option in the media <laughs> arsenal, I guess a large part of your role from the insights view is, is education and bringing new understanding of how that is working? Yes. takes me back a little bit to the electronic telegraph days, which was a whole new medium. It's obviously commonplace now, but uh, in those days... No one really knew how to buy or, or to sell or to trade this new opportunity. And we're sort of almost in that position at the moment where the challenges are to look at how do you define the framework for reporting audiences? How do you define frameworks for reporting the viewability and the quality of what's delivered? And then how do you prove the effectiveness of what is effectively a whole new opportunity for advertisers? Makes sense. And how do you see this new type of product placement fitting into the existing you know, myriad of options that, that um, advertisers already have. So what are the shifts in media consumption that you're taking advantage of? What are the challenges with existing ad inventory that this helps solve? Well, there's three, three ways we can help solve the industry challenges of today. And the biggest one of those, I think the main challenge I would point out is the, the declining audience reach that people are getting through more traditional advertising channels. And that's particularly looking at linear TV and to a point digital. And I could throw a few statistics at you, but you know, if you take the last 12 months or so, there's been a 37% increase in the time spent streaming opposed to using traditional linear formats. And that's a US figure. And 56% of minutes now are streamed on SVOD. So there's this huge challenge for advertisers who are used to getting very high reach through their traditional TV commercials where those audiences are now shifting away from linear TV onto digital, and they're also shifting quite heavily into escort services. And that is one of the big challenges. I mean, there's some shocking figures that Ubiquity have published in the last 12 months, suggesting that in the next sort of 10 years or so, impacts in the UK for 16 to 17-year-olds are going to decline by 95%. And that's, that's the future generation who are totally switching away from these formats. So... This does give an opportunity to address that shift 
in the decline of audiences by finding new opportunities within content. And I think it's something we can all relate to on a very personal level, right? Everyone's struggling with trying to manage the number of video on-demand subscriptions they've got, and the kids always want just one more package. So and I think we all see ourselves spending more time viewing video in that way. So it's not a surprise that the statistics back that up. There's a challenge of finding places where you can advertise without interrupting just just following the eyeballs, I guess, is, is the first challenge. But at the same time, one of the reasons that people have been spending more and more money on digital is because they want to be able to target. Obviously, some new challenges in that space now. We're ourselves doing a lot on the measurement side to deal with the, the cookie world and make sure that we can continue to measure campaigns. How do you see that impacting the, the way that people are delivering advertising in the digital space? Well, the digital space gave huge opportunities for micro-targeting across all forms of behavioural attributes. And, you know, this shift in the third-party cookie and going into what is called the cookie-less world is a very significant challenge for, for a large part of the, the advertising community. It's a probably a year or two away, so it's not with us at the moment. And people, advertisers, are very seriously looking at the, the ramifications of this. I mean, how do they start making their media buys effective in the absence of knowing this full, rich audience layer from their targets? And one of the subjects that's come out a lot recently, and there's a number of papers being published, the World Federation of Advertisers have published one, WARC have published a few, and there's a few other companies have done surveys amongst agencies. And the big word seems to be coming out that people are now looking for more context and relevance of where they put their advertising. So in the absence of this, this rich layer of targeting, let's increase how we can give people more context between where the brand is and the content that it's either around or, or in. So I think we're going to be heading very much to a world where context will become key. And that's certainly one of the areas we have a great strength in. Well, we had Mark Reed on this podcast last year, and he also talked about the rise and the importance of context for some of the reasons you just described quite nicely as well. I guess this, this shift to context is helping, hopefully, overcome also some of the concerns that some people have about excessive targeting. So in a sense, some of the problems that we're maybe facing with cookies are forcing the industry to back off from some of the most excessive practices and hopefully find a replacement in better contextual targeting that doesn't just replace that, but actually makes the whole experience better. It would make the experience much better for consumers where the, the context of the advertising is matched to the, whatever experience they have. And if we talk video, their viewing experience. And it's certainly something that we do at Mirad very well. Our algorithms actually track all the opportunities in content and they categorize it. They categorize it by various contexts and by, by also by emotions. And to give an example of that, we could say you take an, an ice cream brand, an ice cream advertiser, and they are specifically looking for appearing in content where there is a hot sunny scene, uh, a beach scene, a swimming pool, something like that. They want to have that context that matches their brand category. And we can do that right across all our content. We can search for scenes that specifically match that type of context and only put their brands within that. So in a sense, when you talk about context inside content, you get a much richer depth of relevance than you ever would if you were putting, say, your advertising around that content, because you're never quite sure what scene you're going to be next to. So beach context would certainly make me feel uh, positive. <laughs> I've just come back from my two-week summer holiday, so uh, nice, some nice reminders of, of that would be, be very helpful. <laughs> the idea of finding the right context for a particular brand or life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Campaign. It makes a lot of sense. The other thing you talk about on your website is this idea of connecting with audiences instead of interrupting with them. I've heard other people talk about advertising without advertising a lot. This should, in theory, overcome some of the barriers that people have to the most intrusive, interruptive ad formats that are out there. And digital has, I guess, got a bit of a reputation for sticking pop-ups in your face or doing too much in the way of advertising. I mean, TV pods have also got pretty heavy in some countries over the years as well. But do you feel that product placement is one of the best routes to get around this idea of advertising resistance? I certainly do. I mean, it has to be done sympathetically and correctly because, you know, you are right in the middle of people's enjoyment of content. So it has to be done naturally. It has to be done in a very seamless way. It can't be repetitive everywhere, which it certainly isn't. And I think one of the big differences is advertising that sits around content is effectively disrupting viewers' experience. It's not what they're choosing to do whether that be digital or linear TV, they are not choosing to sit there to watch the the advertising around content, they're choosing to watch the content. So most of the avoidance and the apathy of advertising comes from this disruption that it gives to your experience. And the more disruption you get, the worse you feel about it. So being in content, certainly you have a much higher attention level because people are not sort of looking at their mobiles or avoiding it. Uh, and there's many statistics out there that you've done some of on that subject. But the, it has to be done well. It has to be some, done sympathetically. And that is absolutely key to our company that we produce a format that consumers like, doesn't disrupt what they're trying to do. And it's, you know, it's our, it's central to our business model. We, we have to get that right. We are putting things in content that people are choosing to watch. And it has to be very seamless, very professional, not repetitive. And, you know, we've got some figures from, from Kantar off of, of quite a few studies we've done. And the average of the last seven campaigns we've done with Kantar, we've got 85% saying they like the format. We've got 89% saying it's an unnatural fit. It's innovative, say 78. And it's 81 of them say it makes the brand involved more appealing to them. So these are very, very positive figures for what is an advertising format where most people, as you say yourselves in one of your reports, 71% believe they're becoming more intrusive and annoying. So it's, it's very important for us and very good for the consumers that we get such positive attitudes for the format. Yeah, just to complete your sales pitch for you, I mean, as well as the studies that, that have looked at the individual placement campaigns, generically in our new Media Reactions 2021 report, we have seen TV product placement is more popular with consumers than regular TV ads. And it's also much more popular than almost all online ad formats. So this idea that you can interrupt less and, and start with a more positive affinity to the content is, is, is pretty clear. 
I guess the, the main challenge then becomes people will, should like the format. It's smart, it's clever, it's in, in a way of getting beyond some of the inventory and targeting challenges we talked about. But I guess there's still the kick uh, is, can you do it well? So I mean, if you're so seamless and so non-interruptive, the danger is that you just don't get noticed at all. And then you don't build the brand and you don't leave any messages behind and you don't ultimately drive sales. So what um, have you seen are the ways that people within your studies are actually ensuring that this investment works and they get a good return on their effort? To be a non-disruptive format, it's very subtle, but it's highly visible. And I think what, what comes out of studies is the impact comes from the people who are actually really engaged in what they're doing at the time. They're, they are leaning forward, they're watching that content intently, and brands within that, they get seen. In fact, you know, we've done studies where we've questioned people about whether they think it enhances the content. The majority of people say they actually think it's, it enhances the content and it makes it look more real because that's what real life is, to have brands in there. But in terms of impact, we've done quite a few studies, obviously, with the cells at Kantar, looking at a number of things, looking at the statistics I mentioned before, which was about their, their enjoyment of it, but also looking at the impact it has. And we get very strong uplifts in pretty much all the metrics. You know, you'll know more about the norms you see, but we have double-digit increases in people's awareness of brands, their awareness of the advertising within, within the content, they're liking the brand, they're pensive to go and buy that brand. And we have actually done some studies with you where we've gone on to look at the actual sales impacts post-campaign in relation to what do we drive in terms of actual sales and actual spend over and above other campaigns. And some of the ones we've done with you specifically have looked at what do we do in terms of amplifying brands' TV spot campaigns, for example? Because obviously the TV spot is you know the biggest advertising format it takes an awful lot of money it's a regular buy and one of the things we have to prove is okay if we have a very large uh, tv campaign and we take some of that budget and we put it into the content through myriad what's the effect of that what's the net effect in terms of my roi and we have got studies that very strongly prove that effect is very much significantly a good payback or a good choice to do yeah so the evidence seems to be coming through the potential audiences are huge People like the format and they're working. It's almost a bit of a no-brainer for this should be on people's must-try list. I guess as people are learning, though, they're still, you know, they know how to make a TV ad. They know how to make a YouTube video at this point. You've still got some education to do. What kind of tips and tricks would you give for people who are trying this out for the first time? Is it mainly about finding the best fit with a particular show or format or platform? What's the, the process you take people through to make sure that their experience is a good one? There's obviously a lot of there's a lot of considerations in the background to making sure that there's a regulatory fit between what we're doing. And, you know, I'll pick out alcohol and sugary foods, for instance, which have quite a lot of stipulations. So there has to be the right fit in terms of this type of content we put things in based on that brand category and legislation. There has to be a stipulation. Obviously, we don't want to have other brands into the scenes that competing brands, certainly, but preferably no other brands. So to try and give as much of a uniqueness for a brand as possible. And then in terms of choosing, I mean, most of the content, if you're matching a brand to content, for instance, there's a number of ways of doing that. There is a straightforward audience in terms of what is the demographics of that audience. If you're targeting women specifically, then you don't you want to go into shows that have a, a leaning towards uh, female audiences. Then you have the 
other systems where you can look at matches between brand attitudes and content attitudes and look at good fit between content and brand based on the match of people's affinity between the two. And then you have the, the third one I mentioned earlier, which is the context or, or the emotion of getting that targeting done by context. So there's a layer of it. And I would say it's a mix of audience, getting the right content based on the audience scale or the audience demographic or niche, and then getting that right context fit between the two as well. So there's quite a lot goes into it to find the right content and the right scenes to match the brands. But because we have so much content on our books, it's relatively straightforward to schedule that across it. Yeah, so you can go quite granular with the types of contextual targeting whilst maintaining some scale still. And I think that's the, the promise of this is, is getting into big chunks of content that are otherwise inaccessible at scale. I'm just sort of bowled over by the fact that you can do this, that you can actually insert. <laughs> it's like magic. It is magic. Insert magically your Coke can into so many different shows that they didn't actually appear in. I guess that matching process is clearly something that people would need to try out then to find the optimal fit. And is, is it a test, learn, and evolve, or is it increasingly being fueled by data and insights about the best shows that for that particular brand? Or how do you see the, the optimization process evolving? It's a bit of a test and learn, as you mentioned, and it's a new format, a new opportunity for brands. And if I take myself back to the Telegraph days, even before pre-roll, which was just banner ads, it was you know very difficult to persuade brands to move money into digital a new format it wasn't tested they weren't quite sure how it would work and what the outcomes would be in terms of the effectiveness of doing so and it's a little bit like that there's two things brands want they want a proven performance but they want to know it works so you know you'll find brands that will want to come in on a as you say a test and learn framework test different scenarios and look at the outcomes of that based on the the roi and the effectiveness through studies such as with yourselves I think that is that's pretty key and we're working with a very big advertiser a global drinks brand at the moment in, in quite a long path of test and learn the first part of that was as i mentioned earlier about tv budgets you know what is the effect of taking money out of my tv budget or adding money to my tv budget putting it in content with myriad what's the net effect in terms of the audience i reach and what's the net effect in terms of the sales i drive and the purchase intent i drive and you know that's been very successful we've done two or three studies exactly on that framework got other studies going in now that are looking at what is the optimum mix of a format uh, should i use a product should i use signage should i use other formats there's, there's video formats in there as well there's a lot of different uh, choices what's the optimum mix between those you know should i schedule different combinations between them and you know that's looking very successful in terms of creating optimization models between what's the best fit in terms of should I put 80% of my money into product or 20 into signage or the other way around. So that is a good step forward with these test and learns. You know, the major brands do look at this test and learn program. It felt to me like a, the European Championships was, was, was a moment when I think a lot more people, maybe some consumers as well, but certainly people in, in the industry, began to realise that the, the billboards around the side of the pitch weren't actually necessarily <laughs> happening around the side of the pitch rather than happening on their TV no. screens, which was maybe a moment in time when, when we'll look back and realise that digital product placement is, or targeted product placement is definitely yeah, a watershed moment, I think. That's an interesting thing, Duncan. It's something, it, it's our next step. We're very close to it now, which is, is a thing called dynamic ad targeting. Effectively, what that means is that two people watching the same program will see different products. 
in that content. So, you know, you will be able to dynamically stitch different brands into the same piece of content, which is served to different people at the same time, depending on whatever targeting characteristics are picked up on, which is obviously what goes on in the in the pre-roll digital space at the moment. But quite revolutionary in other content areas. It is, yes. Well, it feels to me like there's still quite a lot of new things for you to keep learning and pioneering with, Tim. What are you most excited about moving into 2022 then? Well, I think certainly that's one of them. This is a, an opportunity that is heading to the mainstream, you know, and this is driven by the technology, as I mentioned earlier, the changes to that, the simplicity of the process, because it's actually very quick and easy to do and to schedule around other media. And the other thing I think that's driving this more and more as I started off with, which was this shift in consumer behavior in terms of their viewing habits. And the more difficult it is for brands to get in front of people's eyeballs, partly because they're shifting into SVOD services. And SVOD is obviously a very big opportunity in terms of putting brands within content, which is still an ad-free environment. And I think that's going to drive this shift. The consumers are always first to drive a shift. And the fact that they are changing so rapidly into, first of all, switching into streaming services and specifically SVOD services is firstly one, one of the ones I would pick and also the opportunities you get through that, through what we do through any form of that content. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time, Tim. It's been a pleasure speaking. And you, Duncan. Thank you for your time. You've been listening to Future Proof from Kantar and Said Business School. For all episodes and more information, visit kantar.com or oxfordfutureofmarketing.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you never miss an episode.